It's a disease that's as old as time itself, that has been traced in ancient origins where skeletal remains bear truth of erosive joint damage in Egyptian, Macedonia, and Greek remains. One such example is of the Braid's Lady, a mummified female body from the 16th century, almost 200 years before the first clinical diagnosis was coined. Her x-ray findings revealed large erosions of the metacarpopharyngeal joints of both the third and fourth fingers, volar metacarpopharyngeal subluxation of both the third and fourth fingers, and lateral deviation of all the fingers. Interestingly, this is also the most common form of inflammatory arthritis, where cells of the immune system attack healthy joints, affecting young and old alike. We are talking about rheumatoid arthritis. Today, our patient has rheumatoid arthritis, and you are the doctor. A 45-year-old female presents to your office who is otherwise healthy. She developed swelling and soreness in both wrists. She also noticed some soreness in both feet. About two weeks later, her hand started to stiffen up and she could not get her rings on. She feels stiff when she wakes up in the morning, lasting for two hours, and describes a gelling sensation in her hands, which only improves with activity or taking warm showers. She feels like she has no energy and has missed the last week of work. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is entitled, A Foray into RA, Rheumatoid Arthritis, What You Need to Know. Our joints are lined and sealed within a joint capsule by a synovial membrane. The synovial membrane also functions to secrete a clear, sticky fluid called synovial fluid. This helps to keep the joints lubricated. Rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disorder of unknown etiology. Complex interactions of genes and the environment lead to dysregulated inflammatory process in the synovium that leads to the ultimate destruction of both the cartilage and bone in the joint, resulting in pain and disability. Arthritis affects over 6 million Canadians, that's 1 in 5, and rheumatoid arthritis specifically affects as much as 1% of the population worldwide. Women are three times more likely to develop RA than men. Rheumatoid arthritis typically begins to affect people between the ages of 30 and 60 years old. There are several risk factors, including genetics. First-degree members diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis are at four times greater risk of developing RA compared to the general population. Almost 93% of patients have HLA-DR4-DR1 association. Lifestyle, smoking increases the risk of developing RA by 2.4%. And hormones, as the levels of pregnancy hormones, estrogen and progesterone decrease in women with age, this hormonal shift could be a potential trigger for RA. A generalized approach to any patient who presents with joint pain is to start off with determining if it is truly an articular source versus non-articular source i.e. muscle sprain, bursitis, tendonitis, PMR, or fibromyalgia. Next, when you have established that the symptoms are consistent with articular or joint pain, then you need to determine if it was acute or rapid monoarticular, affecting a single joint, versus more chronic or indolent and polyarticular, affecting over or equal to four joints. 
With monoarticular joint swelling and pain, your first differential is always septic joint or crystal arthropathy, gout versus pseudogout. With polyarticular joint swelling, your next step is to determine if it is due to a degenerative process versus an inflammatory process. Degenerative processes like osteoarthritis results in pain that is worse with moving and better with rest, and with morning stiffness that lasts less than 30 minutes. Osteoarthritis also affects very specific joints, including the DIP, PIP, CMC, first MTP, hips, knees, and lumbar spine. In contrast, polyarticular joint swelling that has an inflammatory process presents as pain that is worse with rest and improves with movement. They typically have morning stiffness that lasts over 30 minutes, that only improves with movement, gelling joints that loosen up with movement, or warm showers. Within inflammatory polyarticular disease, you could also further subdivide into seronegative versus seropositive arthropathies. Seronegative essential indicates the absence of rheumatoid factor, anti-CCP antibodies, or ANA, while seropositive means that the patient possesses these antibodies. We will elaborate more on that when we chat about investigations to order. Seronegative arthropathies are also called spondyloarthropathies and include ankylosing spondylitis, enteropathic arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and reactive arthritis. Seropositive arthropathies include rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and scleroderma. For today's podcast, we will focus specifically on rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis is a chronic, symmetric, erosive synovitis of peripheral joints affecting mainly the wrists, not first CMC, PIP, MCPs, MTPs, elbows, shoulders, knees, ankles, and C-spine. Joints not affected by rheumatoid arthritis include DIP and lumbar spine. Patients typically present with complaints of joint pain, stiffness, and swelling that is symmetric. They also complain about pain when turning knobs, opening jars, and buttoning shirts due to the pain and swelling. Extraarticular symptoms include fatigue, depression, myalgias, and weight loss. As discussed previously, the differential diagnosis includes infectious and traumatic etiologies in which your patient may present in an unstable state. Once your patient is stable, you can move forward with your assessment. A detailed history should include the mode of onset, gradual versus acute, the pattern of joints involved, and variation in symptoms with rest versus activity, and duration of morning stiffness. Ask about other associated symptoms such as sicka symptoms, dry mouth, dry eyes, new skin rashes, examples psoriasis, skin tightening, or malar rash, acute swelling of the fingers called dactylitis seen in psoriatic arthritis, or history of recent gastrointestinal illnesses for reactive arthritis. These would present as a triad of uveitis, dysuria, and arthritis. Recall for reactive arthritis, this presents as can't see, can't pee, and can't climb up a tree. Also explore if there is any family history of inflammatory bowel disease, psoriasis, or inflammatory spinal arthritis for seronegative arthropathies. You should also ask about any constitutional symptoms. On physical exam, inspect the overlying skin for possible cellulitis. Inspect the joints for gouty tophi, which are collections of solid urate crystals that have it deposited in the soft tissue around the joints. Inspect for rheumatoid nodules, which are firm lumps, they vary from the size of a pea to a walnut, 
non-tender, located over knuckles and extensor regions including the elbows, knees, and backs of the heels. In advanced rheumatoid arthritis, you will appreciate ulnar deviation and subluxation of the metacarpophalangeal joints and various joint deformities including boutonniere deformity, swan neck deformity, claw toe, hammer toe, and mallet toe. Inspect for bony changes associated with osteoarthritis, such as squaring of the CMC joints or the presence of Herbendon's or Bouchard's nodes. Assess for active and passive range of motion of the involved joints. Palpate along all joint lines, DIP, PIP, MCP, CMC, elbows, shoulders, knees, ankles, and MTPs for warmth, tenderness, and effusion. Effusions found at the MCP and PAP will feel like pinching a grape in its consistency. On palpation, the flared rheumatoid arthritis joints will be tender to palpation and have limited range of motion. Always remember to also assess the neurovascular status of the distal components of the limb. Compressive ulnar neuropathy may develop as a complication of synovitis in the elbow, whereas compressive median neuropathy, i.e. carpal tunnel syndrome, can result from synovitis in the wrist. It is important to note that rheumatoid arthritis can also have various extra-articular manifestations, including skin, to rheumatoid nodules, hematologic, including normocytic normochromic anemia, thrombocytosis, thrombocytopenia and neutropenia, coined Felty's syndrome, the liver, such as nonspecific transaminitis, pulmonary, such as pulmonary fibrosis, pleural effusions, pulmonary nodules, and diffuse interstitial lung disease, cardiac, including pericarditis, valvulitis, and conduction defects, ophthalmic, including ketoconjunctivus sicca, episcleritis, scleritis, and uveitis, neurologic, such as muscle atrophy and inflammatory myositis, renal, such as low-grade membranous glomerular nephropathy and reactive amyloid, and vascular, such as small vessel vasculitis. You will want to order a CBC to check for signs of leukocytosis to suggest an infection or normocytic anemia, which can also be seen in RA. You will also want to order creatinine to assess for worsening kidney function and serum urate level if you're suspecting gout. Order rheumatoid factor, anti-CCP, CRP, and ESR. Rheumatoid factor has a high sensitivity of 80%, but is nonspecific. It is important to know that rheumatoid factor can be positive also in patients with Hep B, C, subacute bacterial endocarditis, TB, HIV, and sarcoid. Rheumatoid factor is essentially an immune complex when IgM is bound to an IgG. In early RA, rheumatoid factor is positive in 30-50%. to 50%. In established RAs, 70 to 85% will be positive. It is important to note that the diagnosis of RA is clinical and based on history and physical. The presence of rheumatoid factor is associated with more aggressive arthritis and extraarticular features. However, the level of the rheumatoid factor itself does not correlate with the disease activity. In contrast to rheumatoid factor, anti-CCP has a sensitivity of 80%, but an even higher specificity at 98%. Anti-CCP antibody is a test to look for antibodies to citrullinated proteins. If it is positive in high titers, then the diagnosis is likely to be RA with more erosive changes. 
X-ray imaging of the joint may be obtained to rule out trauma. Earliest changes noted on X-ray for RA of the small joints of the hands and feet is osteopenia. More typical changes of RA are juxta-articular bony erosions and symmetrical joint space narrowing, evident within 6-12 to 12 months of the disease. Late radiographic findings include subluxation and loss of joint alignment. Advanced disease may also show degenerative changes like osteophytes. Radiographs of the hands, wrists, and feet should be obtained at baseline and can be repeated periodically to ensure that additional damage is not occurring with effective treatment. MRI and ultrasounds are more sensitive methods for detecting early joint erosions and they can visualize inflammation, tensosynovitis, and integrity of tendons, i.e. rupture. These may be considered in whom the articular exam is particularly difficult. In general, poor prognostic features of RA include young age at onset, high RF teeter, elevated ESR and CRP, activity of over 20 joints, and presence of extra-articular features. There are two key types of pharmacological treatments. The first set includes DMARDs, which stand for disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs, and biologic treatments, both of which act by altering the underlying disease rather than treating symptoms. Examples of DMARDs include leflunamide, sulfasalazine, plaquenil, and methotrexate. Typically, methotrexate is often a gold standard and first-line therapy which acts as a folate antagonist. It is available as an oral pill or subcutaneous injection in once-a-week dosing. Typically, CBC, liver function tests, renal function, and hepatitis B and hepatitis C screening should be completed prior to starting methotrexate therapy. Toxicities to monitor for include myelosuppression, hepatic fibrosis and cirrhosis, and pulmonary infiltrates. Routine weekly use of folic acid supplementation is also advised. Although methotrexate is an immunomodulator, it is not a significantly immunosuppressive agent in the doses used for rheumatoid arthritis. Biologic treatments are usually indicated if one has inadequate response to two or more DMARDs, or if the patient presents initially with high-risk disease. Options include anti-TNFs, examples are adalimumab, cetralizumab, and tranercept, golimumab, and infliximab. JAK inhibitors like tofacitinib, IL-6 inhibitors like tocluzumab and serolumab, selective T-cell co-stimulation modulators like abatacept, and selective B-cell depletion, rituximab. The second set of pharmacological therapies includes those which reduce inflammation and pain, including NSAIDs, over-the-counter anti-inflammatory medications, and corticosteroids, either local injections or systemic prednisone, which help to control symptoms until DMARDs and or biologics take effect. Non-pharmacological therapy includes physiotherapy and exercise programs, active, gentle range of movement exercise, aquatic or aerobic strengthening exercises, and other complementary therapies are offered by referral to the Canadian Arthritis Society. Outpatient follow-up with rheumatology is generally required every four to six months to monitor for medication side effects through blood work and to ensure that patients do not experience any rheumatoid arthritis flares. Typically, patients find significant improvement in their physical function and mobility in the above treatments, and hence it is generally a very rewarding medical treatment to treat if diagnosed early.
Did you know that in September 21st, 1948, there was a 29-year-old woman who was hospitalized at the Mayo Clinic, southeast of Minnesota, for severe rheumatoid arthritis that caused debilitating joint immobility. She was injected with a small amount of an experimental drug, Compound E. In a couple of days and two more injections later, the patient was reported to have been able to miraculously walk and left the hospital to enjoy a three-hour shopping spree. Shortly two years later, Dr. Edward Kendall, a biochemist, and Dr. Philip Hench, a rheumatologist, shared the Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine with Swiss scientist Dr. Titus Richardson for isolating the hormones in the adrenal cortex. The famous compound E is known today as cortisone. Similar results were noted in 30 patients seen at the Mayo Clinic over the next seven months. The beneficial effects of this compound was realized when patients with rheumatoid arthritis were noted to have symptoms improved during pregnancy or following a surgery, leading to the hypothesis that certain stress states can induce the release of anti-rheumatic substance. Thank you for listening to today's episode. This episode was written by Dr. Jennifer DeCruz, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Sherry Rokar, rheumatologist, and Dr. Aaron Spicer, general internal medicine physician. The Internet Work series was created by Allison Lai, developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karanopoulos. This podcast was produced and recorded by Zara Morali. Music production by Laxman's Vantha Mohan. If you liked this podcast, please like and subscribe at wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.